Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. My mom uh, visited last week, and... um, she was at, she lives in Pennsylvania, my hometown, and so for Mother's Day, I wasn't able to see her physically. My mom's uh, love language is acts of service, so um, I told her on Mother's Day, I said, Mom, when you get up here and visit, I'm going to make you the best steak you've ever had, and um, fortunately for me, I had a gift card for Butcher and Grocer, which uh, if, if I ever had to be sponsored by someone, it would be that butcher shop, because they're the best. If you've had their meats, they're the best. And uh, I got my mom this really nice filet, and, um, and it was just the best. And uh, the reason why I'm talking about steak, if your mouths aren't already watering, is uh, because we're going to talk about salt today. And if you've made a good steak, you would know that, that the salt is what makes it. Now, don't get me wrong, a good cut of meat is important, but when you go to a really good restaurant and you buy like a really nice steak, maybe it's an anniversary or something special, and you, you want to get a great steak, a really, really good steak is really only going to have salt on it. It might have a little bit of pepper, but they're not throwing all these different like rubs on a good steak. It actually kind of detracts and ruins the flavor. And salt adds so much flavor to things that it makes it so much better. It's the difference between a good restaurant and a bad restaurant, if you didn't realize that. Um, and so today I want to talk about salt. And uh, if you're going to learn way more about salt than I think you would have ever asked for me to talk about. But uh, that's the nature of the passage today. We've been going through Matthew uh, and we're in this, this chunk called the Sermon on the Mount, maybe better known as the Sermon on the Hills. And Jesus has essentially gathered all of this just ragtag group of people, and they're so curious to hear who he really is and what he's about. And um, in chapter 5, he goes up on this hill, and he starts to speak to his disciples, the people whom he had called to come follow him in this radical call. And then there's all these other people, sick, lame, hurting, poor, impoverished, um, in any way you could think of, listening to the words of Jesus as he's teaching and talking to his disciples. And we get this beautiful glimpse of what he is he's creating this beautiful parameter around called kingdom of God. And it is the kingdom that we're a part of if we follow Jesus and we believe in what he's done. And the beginning of it was last week. We talked about uh, this these blessings that the first thing Jesus wanted all of those people to know was that his kingdom is a kingdom of blessing and that we read the blessings and I talked about how the blessings in, in Matthew are a lot different than maybe the blessings they had heard before. They had typically been contingent on something you did or didn't do, whether it was like, you know, you made the right friends or, uh, or you had a certain amount of wealth or whatever, you were, had a great status. It was always about something you had to do. And so Jesus lets these people in listening know that the priority of his kingdom is not based on what you do. Um, but it's based on what he's done and who you are. And he gives them these blessings, and they're, they're, they're the people that we would just not expect. And at the end of that, he kind of leaves uh, this last beatitude into uh, what we're going to talk about today. And so if you think about it, the blessings, or if you think about this idea of like a kingdom, like this kind of parameter, this territory, if you will, the blessings are kind of like this gateway to the kingdom. It's, it's like the not, it's, not, it's not a prerequisite to get into the kingdom, but he's allowing you to see a glimpse of what is in the kingdom. And it's these are the people, and this is the blessings they receive, that the things that they're dealing with on earth are going to be fulfilled in the ways that, that they truly desire in the kingdom. And, and then he tells them at the end, basically, he kind of gives you almost a warning, like, like, 
be, be ready for people to persecute you, to say mean things about you, and rejoice and be glad in it. And so he shifts from the doorway uh, that we're getting a glimpse of to essentially looking into the kingdom and realizing what is their, what is their call, what is their action, what is their the calling upon these people in the kingdom. And so Jesus starts with who, their identity and who they are, and then he shifts into some of their values and, uh, and movement in verses uh, 13 through 16, which is what Jerry read. So it's interesting, though, if we go back to verse 11, so if you want to open your Bibles, uh, we're not going to have it on the screen because we want to encourage you to be in Matthew. Uh, verse 11, I'm going to read that, and then we're going to go into the passage I want to talk about. We already read 11 last week, but if you look, this is kind of nerdy, this is very grammatical, but if you look in like verse 7, 8, 9, 10, they're all blessed are those, blessed are the pure. It moves from third person to then 11. It says, blessed are you. It moves to second person. And so Jesus is drawing us in. He's drawing the people in listening. And his last beatitude, he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecute the prophets before you in the same way. And then he goes right into saying, I know we, most of us have a header there. It's like we kind of mentally just like go into the next section, compartmentalize, but it's not the case, right? He's immediately going into, here's who you are. You are the salt of the earth. And so I, I love talking about salt, um, like the steak. And it's funny because uh, when I had grown up, like we, we, we ate a lot of Polish food. I don't know, we're like part Polish, but not like heavily Polish. And uh, Polish food, I joke, is like all one color. It's all brown, shades of brown. <laughs> And so when you get a great plate of Polish food, it's all brown, and it's the best. Uh, but it's funny because I, I'd eaten it for a long time, and then like I started to add salt to everything, and it, it just enhanced the flavor in such a great way. And now th- then I married Sarah, who just is obsessed with salt. Like, we have, a, we have a salt donkey on our table that is just used so much. We have a salt shaker in our kitchen. Like, there, everywhere you go, there's salt, potential for salt. And it, when I first met her, she, you know, she put salt on everything. We get a meal at a restaurant, she puts salt on it. I'd make her a meal. I put in salt, and she put salt on it. And, and then at the end of the day, I realized, I'm like, she's actually not wrong. It really does change the flavor to things. And so we're, Jesus is using this common analogy for salt. And to be honest, for us, salt is like, you could buy literally 10 pounds for like $5. Unless you buy this super fancy pink Himalayan salt, then that's way more. But salt is like no big deal to us, right? It's, it's not expensive. We don't worry about it. But uh, I want to give you a brief history of salt because you were asking for it. Just kidding. No one asked for it. Um, salt's, been, salt's been around for, as far as we know in history, it's been used for about 6,000 years, which is a long time. But salt is so important, has been so important, that people have been killed over. In fact, there's been wars. Uh, it typically arises when one group is trying to essentially utilize this. It's kind of like oil is today, right? It's all about the oil rights and how they can manipulate the oil and make money off it. Salt was the same way back then. And, uh, and the thing we don't realize was salt was essential for life. It would be like going to a grocery store and, and everything that's refrigerated, there was no refrigerators. So you just walk in and you're like, better make this meat in two hours because who knows what's going to happen after that. Like everything you had had to be used immediately and salt was an opportunity to preserve and prevent decaying. And so people use this for so many things and that was how they had to live. And so this photo, uh, this is the salt riot on Red Square. Uh, this, is, this is literally a war that was that was happening. People were dying and being killed because of salt. This was in, um, I'm trying to look at the date here. This was in 1648 uh, in Moscow, and they responded to the Tsar Alexei's first uh, new universal salt tax. 
and they spent violent, uh, days of violent uprising. There was also a salt war in uh, 1482 involving the Duke of Ferrara, salt mining and the powerful forces of, of some other people in 1540. Uh, basically what happened is they would, can, they would take over the salt mines and stuff and they would tax it like crazy. And what's fascinating about it um, is that, that it was a commodity then. Like it was, in fact, uh, they have historical uh, documents that show that uh, the English word salary derives from the Latin word sell through the French word sell, which, which is basically dealing with being paid in salt. <laughs> Essentially, it's so like, what's your salary? Like your annual salary, you'd ask, what do you make? Well, it, it was rooted in the idea of like, you would literally be paid in salt. Like a Roman legionnaire would be paid in wa- his wages in salt. And uh, it attests to the value like of, of in the world this time. It's just such a common currency. And today we're like, literally like, I have five pounds of salt in my cupboard and like, I don't even think about it. But back then you would literally like, you would work and you would maybe, you would maybe be able to accumulate a couple like, um, you know, pounds of salt if you were like, made a decent job. And, uh, and if you think about that now, like if you, if you took your whole paycheck for the year, how much salt could you buy? A lot of salt. And so this time, people didn't get their hands on a lot of it. It was actually more for the wealthy. And so Jesus is drawing in on this analogy, though, that this is, this is, the, this is the world they live in and the life that they um, know is salt is a commodity and salt is life for a lot of these people. When you, when you, make, when you buy a cow, when you make meat, whatever, uh, it only is going to last a few days. Unless you salt it, it preserves, it causes the skin, um, you know, to, to last longer. And it's kind of how before refrigerators, that was essentially how they la- made things last. So salt for these people was life or death. Uh, physically, violent wars, but also just the practicality of you being able to go to a grocery store and not having to eat that meat within an hour of, of, each, of having it um, or traveling with it and et cetera. So Salt, Jesus throws this in. It's provocative to us. We don't, like I said, we don't feel this rise in it. But I guess if he said you're the oil of the earth, it would be, like for us, it would be a little more confusing. But, uh, but you're the salt of the earth. And, and he says you are. He's talking about, you know, these disciples, the people listening. And he doesn't say you're going to be. He says you are currently. You are now. And that's why he switched from third person to second person in the last beatitude was you are. He's talking about the people who are present with him are the salt of the earth. And remember who he's talking to here. He's not talking to like these rich, uh, influential, famous people. Most of the people could barely afford salt. And he's saying, you guys are the, the, the value of the earth. You guys are the commodity of the earth right here, right now. Before he even does all the stuff he's going to do in Matthew. It's wild. He's speaking this truth over them. And so when, when they say salt of the earth, what does it mean when he calls his disciples salt of the earth? There's two things that salt primarily does and that he's alluding to. The first one uh, as, this, as followers of Jesus, salt prevents corruption and decay. So if you're taking notes, you like bullet points, this is one you take notes on. But salt prevents corruption and decay. And so in the same way, followers of Jesus, our goal is we're thrown into this earth. I say thrown like it's, it's, it's brutal, but like we're born into a sinful, broken world that we have to deal with the tragedies and the hardships of life. And it is, it is just eating itself in some ways. Um, it's funny, I, I've never been so like, environmentally conscious. And I, now that we have a child where we have like a million diapers and our trash cans are just full of diapers, I'm just like, where are all of these going? And then I think about all the kids that have diapers that are, where are all those going? And you just think about like, not even like, is the, are we as humans just, you know, decaying and dying and like all that, but like the earth itself is just like, there's so many people. And, that, and I was flying back home. I got in yesterday and I was flying back home from Austin and, and I was just looking at all the light bulbs and I was just like, 
There's so many lights on right now. How, who's powering all of this? Like, you start to realize the massive scale which humans are just possessing the world and you just using it. And I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying that this idea of decay and, and wanting to preserve it is natural, um, but humans in themselves are decaying. And so the salt is what preserves it. It's what adds value to it. And I think about it, if you took all of the Christians out of the world, what would happen to the world? I think it would decay like crazy. And if the Christians are doing the job they should, if we are the salt of the earth, we should be preserving it in all areas, whether it's just a humanitarian-like approach, right, to the believing in the, the, the image of, people are made in the image of God that we should preserve and love people's lives from birth until death, uh, or that we want to care about um, the way that we're taking care of and stewarding the environment and the world that God has given us, or whatever it may be, right? I mean, this is a passage that I don't think we realize the ramifications of it. It's not just that you personally are helping preserve your neighbor and making them a salad, but it's that, like, you are, like, spiritually, physically in this world to help preserve it. It's a massive calling. And, and Jesus here is saying, you're the salt. You guys are the thing that, that's going to preserve and prevent the corruption and decay that the flesh, which is ironic because flesh and meat, I mean, that's what we're dealing with. Here. The flesh of the world will, will eat and decay. And so you think about it in the world, you're like, this is, neg- is kind of negative. But in reality, we're called to be this beautiful depiction of salt. And I, I think about the idea of the church, and I used this phrase a couple weeks ago, but the idea that the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing is He's calling us to be image bearers of, of him and follow him. And so we create these kingdom outposts. Churches are these kingdom outposts in the world. Remember when I draw, drew the two diagrams of the two circles, when the kingdom of God comes on earth and Jesus starts doing all these little miracles and he starts speaking in truths to all these people and he's bringing the kingdom down to them to see it. The, the church is alive now to do that very thing, that we are the outposts of the kingdom that we represent and that we are to preserve this world. I think about all of the the, the, um, I think about foster care and adoption. I think about hospitals. I think about giving to the poor. I think about loving those in prison. I think about all these different things that no one else's job is to do. And the church is, is sometimes we forget about those things, right? Like, I don't know when the last time you've been to prison to visit people has been, but we forget about this calling that we're, that we, it's our, if we don't do it, no one else will. And I'm not saying that it's this idea that we, oh, we got to do it, but like Jesus gives us this task that we're to preserve his creation, the second piece that salt does is salt, in my first analogy with my steak, is it adds flavor or interest. It enhances what is, what is there. Uh, and so salt was a commodity for even the poor to preserve food, but for the rich it was actually not only preser- preservation, but it was also enhancement. It made their food way better. Uh, and like I said, if you've had a good dish, you would know that. It, makes, it, it adds beautiful complexity to the dish. In fact, it's funny because Paul uses the same analogy to stay stay salty. Um, uh, and um, Sarah Brill, actually, at our teaching night, we had a little TED Talk night. We had some people just come, just practice teaching in the Bible into people. And we had six different people do it at my house. It was awesome. And Sarah Brill gave a passage on uh, Colossians 4, 6, which in her, her tagline was stay salty. And it was this idea that, that Paul calls us to, to have speech that is seasoned with salt, that, it, that preserves the life of those around us through our speech that we give, our conduct that helps those around us. And I think about that, and I think about, man, we can't even, I, I think churches have a hard time even just like salting the people in their church, let alone the people outside their church. You go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, you go on the news, like there's just a ton of churches that are just, um, just literally just being brutal to other people. We're not, we're not preserving the life of people. We're not, we're not helping build up and edify and unify. We're tearing down. We're doing the exact opposite 
In fact, and, and it's ironic because in a couple of verses later, Jesus is going to tell us what happens when you lose your salt. You're either salty or you're not. But I kind of want to ask these questions. Um, are you salty? Not in the modern version, because we know that if you, someone, you ask someone if they're salty now, it means something different um, if you're like upset about something. But uh, do, you, uh, do you interact with people in your life in such a way that you add flavor, enhancement, or interest to the world around you? If you act no different, then, then how are people going to notice? How are people going to see this? If Jesus calls us salt of the earth and we, we have no effectiveness in the world, then are we really following Jesus? Are you gossiping and slandering people like everyone else? Do you apologize when you act out? Do you stop drinking with your friends when things get out of hand? Do you lead your group of people in your life in generosity, the people around you? Do you give more than anyone you know? Do you, do you outgive, serve, and love everyone around you? Do you seek to show honor to the people that others dishonor? Do you show patience in others' lives when they talk a ton or exhaust you or say mean things? These are the kind of questions that, that the, the people of the world do not ask or, nor, nor care about. And Jesus says, hey, you guys are not like those. You are the salt of the earth. You are to preserve and to add flavor and beauty and enhancement into people's lives. And it's like the most beautiful analogy is something as simple as salt, but I think it's so simple. I mean, it's just so simple that, that we ask ourselves, am I adding, am I, am I enhancing, am I, am I adding to the beauty of what God has created? Am I showing them the value of that, helping preserve that? And if a poor person could afford a block of salt, it was so exciting. If a non-Christian is around you, are they excited to be around you? That's the question I, I, I like ask myself, like, not, not am, I like, am, am I this obnoxious Christian that they're just like, oh boy, he's here. But am, am I truly like loving, valuing, seeing people, helping them belong, helping them feel understood, listening, um, finding needs and meeting them, maybe without them even saying them? And like I said, am I, am I, am I, did they look at me and say, that guy's just generous. He just gave me whatever and he didn't need to or we're not even that close. You know, like, are, are there ways that I am literally helping people be excited, not about me being there, but about Jesus being shown through my life? I just think about how, how excited are people to hear, uh, you know, when they're going to something and there's going to be Christians there. <laughs> are they like, oh, no. Or, oh, now I can't cuss because they're going to they're yell at me and judge me or, um, you know, or whatever it may be. Or are they excited? Like, I just think that's, that's there's one thing that I think Grandview needs. They've had a, probably a lot of people who have been Christians and they're like, oh, no. You know, they don't want anything to do with us. And the one thing that I think in this that we should fight for is to be the people who say, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe what they believe, but I love them. They're just great people to be around, and I want them in my corner, and they, they bring value to my life, and they, they, they tell me love and truth in the way I need to hear it. I, just, I think that would be like the coolest testament to the people around us, that, that people want us there, and that we, uh, one thing that Movement Church, who has planted us, says is we want to be in the community in such a way that if we cease to exist, people would feel it and they'd realize it. Are we adding value and enhancement to the areas in our life that we're in? That's not just Grammy. I mean, that's your workplace. That's your home. That's if you were pulled out of your your rooming situation, if you were pulled out of your family, would it would it would they notice? The last thing about salt, then I'm, I promise I'm done with salt, is Jesus says this little phrase after he says, "If uh, if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people." It's a pretty, pretty mean statement. Um, and if you look up, if you're really nerdy and you want to look up the chemical composition of salt, uh, it, salt can actually lose its flavor uh, when it becomes compromised. So 
that, that's like this little prerequisite of, of, okay, salt, like it's always salty. Actually, no, it's not. It can, it can lose its flavor. Um, so strictly speaking, salt cannot lose its saltiness, which is sodium chloride. It's a stable compound. <laughs> Chemistry, who would have thought, right, today on this Sunday? But most salt in the ancient world derived from salt marshes or the like rather than by evaporation of salt water and therefore contain many impurities. The actual salt, being more soluble than the impurities, could be leached out, leaving a residue so dilute it was of little worth. The church can become so unnoticed and so unimportant that we are essentially useless. I've been thinking a lot about that. I, I think about, you know, the political atmosphere of the last few months, the news, the, all these different, like, um, you know, just social justice things that, that churches are trying to navigate through. I follow a huge Facebook group of, it's called Church, like, Social Media Managers, and there's, like, I don't know, several thousands of people in there, and, you know, they're always just, like, asking, hey, is it, is, do you think I could post this? Do you think people will be mad about this? What do you think about this? Like, and everybody on, in that page, all, these are all church people, are all just getting in fights about, I think you should be able to post that. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, I think that's insensitive. I, it's ridiculous. Churches can't even agree on how to post, but in, in the reality of it, I'm kind of like, on one hand, I'm like, I'm just not, we're not going to post anything. But on the other hand, are we, are we just losing our saltiness? Are we so worried about what other people think that we don't say anything at all? I think about the, the apathy of man, and, and there's so many stories in the Bible that I could, that I could name that, that, that somebody was just apathetic, didn't do anything, and, and that, that's a sin. It's a root cause. It's a sin of omission, Paul says. It's a sin of knowing what to do and not doing anything about it. Now, I do think there's a medium for everything. I don't necessarily agree social media is the best medium for that. But at the end of it, am I, am I just living in fear of what people will think, what people will say about us or me or whoever? And we're not, just, we're not saying anything. We don't take a stand on anything. We're just like jello. And we just have no structure. We have no truth. We, have, we, don't, like, we say this is really important, but we don't talk about it. We don't read you know, every verse in the Bible because we're afraid about it. And I just, I've been thinking about that. And I just think, like, I want us to be salty. I really do. I don't want us to be like what Jesus says. We'll throw you out and you'll just be trampled. You'll just be eaten alive because you have, you have no backbone in what you're doing. And, it, and it's so funny because he goes from such blessing to such, such high bar, like such, such a reality of like, man, this is not easy. Salt is, everybody wants it, but it's not always easy for everyone to get nor appreciate. And I think that's us, literally. The world needs us. It needs the church. The church is the hope of the world through Jesus. And, and this is what the world needs. But if we're just so like timid and we're just dilute salt that people just throw away, we're, we're not even accomplishing anything Jesus says that we're called to do. We are the salt of the earth. And, and so I just think about, is there ways that you act no different than the world? You bump into someone at work. This is a funny one. You bump into someone at work and you realize after six months that you guys are both Christians. You're like, no way! After six months and you're like, kind of like, that's crazy. And I'm like, that's actually not a good thing. Like, if you've been working at a company and you sit beside someone for six months and they just find out you're a Christian, are you salty? I'm not saying you got to be like, hi, my name is John. Uh, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? But like, do they see anything about your life that, that is noticed? Because if they don't even think about you being a Christian or maybe they don't realize that you have kingdom values, then you, you've effectively not been salt for six months. And I think about that so often. Like, are there people in my life where I'm like terrified to tell, I, I, mine's kind of unique because I'm terrified to tell people I'm a pastor because then they just kind of look at you and then you never hear from them again. Like I tell some of my neighbors, you know, and, and I'm sure there's people who are like, I don't want to be near that guy. But at, at the end of the day, like there's people who are hurting that like I want to be salt to. And I'm not going to choose to just hide and, and not be proud of who I am. And maybe they have a misunderstanding of Jesus or the church, but like, are we being salt in our workplace? 
I think about this one too. Even salt here. Are we being salt in our chairs? We come to worship and everybody just looks like they'd rather be asleep than praise God for the true freedom and relationship that he's given to them. Are we even salty in church, in our chairs? Do we act like we actually care about the Lord that we're worshiping as a community individually? Are we salt in that? I think about, we complain about things everyone else complains about. The boss at work, the president, etc. You name it. We just complain about things. Are we any different? Are we salt? Maybe we're stingy. We don't show honor or kindness to anyone. We're, everyone, we show contempt. Are we salty to those around us? Is there any difference between your ideal of happiness and the irreligious one? Think about that. Is there any difference in the life you live right now between your happiness as a follower of Jesus and the irreligious one? If they look exactly the same, you're not following Jesus, you're following yourself. Are you salty? I've said this before, and I've said it several times. Most people that aren't uh, into being a Christian or coming to church or whatever, you know, like even just exploring it, don't have a problem with Jesus. It's typically his people. (laughs) Nobody usually has, nobody has a huge problem with Jesus. Um, And I think it's because we're not enhancing the things around us. If anything, we're condemning, apathetic, we're judgmental towards things. We are not the salt. If anything, we're like putting salt on a slug. Uh, we, we have no tact, we have no grace and love in the midst of speaking truth and, and being salty. So I just think about this, and this is the last thing about salt, is not only do we become useless and trampled, we actually become foolish. There's a difference between being useless and there's, not, there's like a lower bar of being useless and then foolish. Foolish is like even worse, I think. Because foolish means it's not just you being you and useless around you, but it's actually affecting the lives of other people. Uh, the word used for salt, uh, losing its saltiness is also used in a couple other instances. Uh, and the phrase that's used in the Greek means to make or become foolish, to be a fool. And it's, it's, it's hard not to conclude that disciples who lose their, their saltiness are in fact making fools of themselves. I think this is hard. Because <laughs> not only are we maybe being useless, but we're also making a fool of ourselves and others around us. And I think about that. And I think about like, you know, this is part of the reason why I think I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I challenge things. I like to like find truth in things, but typically it's at all costs. And, and I get frustrated like seeing all these other churches and things like that say certain things because I feel like there's this foolishness that is now affecting all of us, Right. It's like, well, that church down the street does that, and we're not like that. But then they've, they've coined all of their thoughts on that, and they're labeling them on us, or whatever, maybe us to them. It's, it's all, we're all broken. But, but I think about this idea, and I think about, like, the church will become foolish if we don't fight for saltiness, if we pursue comfort, if we pursue uh, kind of this diluted version, because it gets trampled, and there's no consistency in what we're called to do. We have to be salty, because salt can only lose its flavor when it's cloistered and it's not used at all. So followers of Jesus are salty. The second one is shiny or light. Salty and shiny made more sense to remember, but salty and shiny. Uh, The second one is their light. In verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Again, you are, not you will be, not once I die, you will be. He's literally commissioning them in this instance right now to be the light of the world. The kingdom is to be the light of the world. Fun fact, our coffee cart I had some, uh, some trademark issues, and so we're now FOSS coffee cart, which is exciting. And FOSS is the Greek word for light. And so uh, if, you're, if you look in your, your Greek version of your Bible, which I'm sure many of you have, <laughs> it's a joke, uh, the word FOSS would show up. 
this idea of light, it can even mean fire. It's this intensity that when it's around, it changes things. And uh, so that's our coffee cart. When you provide a good latte, it changes the world. <laughs> that's our goal, you know. Um, but that's where contrast, literally, like the, the, the idea of contrast came from this word of, this phos, this word in First John 1, 5, which we'll look at. This idea of being light, it's, 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 it's providing light over darkness and it's changing the world with, with our lives. And so light does two things as well. Light first illuminates and reveals everything around it, whether you like it or not. Let's just say Paul and I are in a room and Paul's just like, just radiating light. Whether I like it or not it has nothing to do with me. Paul is, is brightening up the room, whether I like it or not. Nothing I do or won't do will affect that. If Paul has light, the whole room will be, if, if someone was waking up in the middle of the night and they turn on their iPhone light in the room, it's, there's going to be light in there. And in the same way, that's powerful because it, what it realizes, no matter whether people like it or not, we have the ability to be light in the circumstances that we're in. And it will, it will affect everyone else's vantage and view around us, even if they're not participating in it. So like I said, all it takes is one iPhone light in an entire room, and the whole room is bright. You didn't need all 10 of the people in the room turning on their iPhone light. It just takes one person, and everyone is seeing the truth and reality of what's in front of them. It's this beacon. It's this centering point to all people, regardless of if they like it. And in fact, the, Jesus is drawing on these analogies that people would know, like salt and light. In light, there were cities that were often built, ancient cities that were built of white limestone, and these towns would actually gleam in the sun. They would, they would not be hidden. They would shine. We don't really see that. Maybe you see it on a skyscraper in a city or whatever, but these towns would be, this, the rock would be so shiny that from a distance, you would almost see it like a giant mirror and it would like glow and it would reflect back the light of the sun and it's sunset and stuff like that too. And it's this beautiful, beautiful, really cool thing. And so people know that like you can't not look at that bright light. And in fact, it was, it was so blinding, you know, and, and you would see it from a distance. It was a, a point, a focal point, it was something you were steering your way towards. And in the same way, people would do this in their ha- homes. They would light lamps. And, and I think about Jesus then, in the next verse, he says, in the same verse, but the second part, he says, As you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. And it's kind of all one sentence here. He's saying, like, the light you are be representation of it. It's a city. It's sitting on a hill. And what he's, he's drawing at here is a couple different verses in the Old Testament uh, the main one is Isaiah 49, and, and he says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And what's so interesting here is Jesus is saying, hey, uh, hey, Israel, the Jewish listeners, remember Matthew is speaking to Jewish listeners. He says, you guys were called to be that city on a hill, which Jerusalem is actually physically on a hill. When you walk in Jerusalem at any angle, you're walking essentially up to a hill. Um, and and he's saying, you're the city on a hill. It's called, uh, another name for Jerusalem was Mount Zion or Zion, which is God's holy hill. He created this hill of Jerusalem where they were to settle and to be the light to the world. And what were they? The exact opposite. People would go to Jerusalem when they had to sacrifice and then they had to get ripped off and they had to be uh, persecuted and judged by the Pharisees. And, and it, was, it was just a nightmare. Nobody wanted, like it was just, it had lost its beacon in the world. It was becoming so dark, even though it was located on this hill. And so Jesus is saying, hey, uh, my kingdom is going to be this true light on a hill. He's kind of rebuking the Jews a little bit and saying, hey, you guys did it wrong, but don't worry, my kingdom is going to be a light on a hill. It provides clarity for people around us. And then he says, look, in verse 15, people do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. You don't just have light and hide it. It doesn't make any sense. It's pointless. It's useless. Why would you hide the light you have? It's the same thing as salt. You don't just let your salt 
be cloistered, it loses dilution, and then it's just trampled. You don't you are light. You're not going to be light. You might want to be light. You are light in the kingdom, and so you shine. That's what you do. In verse 16, it says, in the same way, he's taking all this. He says, let your light shine before people, those around you, so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. So the second thing that light does is light casts out darkness. And this is this is the reality of light in our lives. I don't think we realize the little things that we do and the instances that we have that changes people's lives when we don't even realize it because the Spirit is working through every little like, light beam of glimpse that we had. When I, when I actually, um, when we planted contrast and I had to think of names, I actually had a name way before we even took the residency. I had a dream at night and uh, I had a couple different times and I was reading through John at the time of, of these and, and John uses the word light like more than anyone else. He just, it's a huge symbol for him. And I kept having these dreams where there'd be these people like walking in maybe an urban setting down an alley and it was like, um, you know, I'm kind of artsy and I love the contrast of like light, light, like light in photos. Um, and they just like all had like a light. It was almost like the sun was just constantly hitting like half of their face and their body. Uh, and then, but then when they would walk more into the light, like people around them that were dark would start to like basically catch it as if it was like a contagious light. It didn't make any sense because the sun is, doesn't work like that. And I just kept having this dream and I just kept thinking like that's, that's what we need to be. Like we need to be the light in people's lives, the contrast that people see, ever seeing everyone around them is in darkness, but even though they don't have a choice whether they like it or not, we come in as light, and they get to see Jesus through the ways that we live, the saltiness that we have, and the light that we have, and, and so I, I found, the stumbled upon this verse, and this is the verse, if you've ever gotten a card from me, I typically put it in there, uh, if like you're new or you fill out a next steps form, I always put 1 John 1, 5, and I'm going to read the whole passage because it's just so perfect. This is the best six verses, I think, succinctly put. John, uh, it, says, it says, now this is the gospel message, the good news we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet keep on walking in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. It's just so simple. I mean, it's just, I love that passage. It's God is light and in him there is no darkness. And when we become followers of Jesus in that same way, we have that same high calling. And it, it seems crazy, but that's what Jesus is calling us to do, at least in this, this passion of the scripture. So at the end of the day, this is a blessing that Jesus calls us into this kingdom culture. It's to be salt and light. And so I want to close. Uh, last week, I used this analogy of this really cool artwork. If you weren't here last week, uh, I'm just going to breeze through it. But basically, there was this artist who took a pile of trash, and I compared this to the kingdom of God and how when Jesus gathered around all these people, everyone that was in there was just cultural trash. They were not significant. They were sick, poor, uh, whatever it may be, spiritually impoverished. And Jesus says, hey, you're blessed. And so what happened was, with this artist, it's all about shifting your vantage point. And so as you start to shift your vantage point, all of a sudden, all of this trash became a beautiful picture. And when you're looking through the lens of Christ, this is what he sees in us. He sees this trash, broken sinners making this beautiful kingdom. And this is the kingdom that we get to glimpse through the doors. And then our calling is something that I think is really cool about this story. This man, uh, his name is uh, Ferdinand Cheval. So the artist is, is, is trying to do a portrait of Ferdinand Cheval. Pretty good, right? Not bad for a bunch of trash in a dump. And uh, this man was just a normal postman. 
He had walked so many miles. It says that he walked equivalent of five times around the world on his rounds. Back then, you know, it wasn't an urban. He'd, he'd walk a lot of miles. Just a normal postman. One day, he, was, he kept having dreams. He picked up a stone, and in his dream, he had wanted to build this something great. And he took a stone, and he started to build this palace. Now, don't, um, don't show it yet, but started every day after his, his shift at work, he'd take these stones, and he started building this, this massive thing. And it is a world-famous, like, art piece now, 10 hours a day doing his rounds, and 10 hours building his palace. The man didn't sleep. He was crazy. And he did this for 33 years. It says that it represents 93,000 hours of work. And this is what he built. He just picked up rocks. And look at how intricate this is. I mean, this is literally just a postman picking up rocks on the ground as he walked. And, and this is what he built. Isn't that insane? And you're like, I don't know, I don't got enough time, Trey. I'm like, well, this guy built it rocks, okay? Now look, uh, you can leave it there just to show the scale. I love that. This guy was a normal, uneducated postman, and he, he's probably a little bit insane, okay? Don't go this crazy. Maybe build like a, a third of the size. You still need to have like friends and family and all that, right? Don't. But, but I think about like this beauty of salt and light, and we, sometimes our initial feeling is, oh my gosh, like that's just a lot. Being salty is a lot. This coworker, I'm terrified of even saying I'm a Christian because of what they might say. Or I'm terrified of being the light in this room because I don't want to be the person who everyone's gossiping. And I'm like, hey guys, we shouldn't talk mean. And I'm afraid that they're going to like not then trust me or whatever. Maybe like we, 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 we hear these words and we say, yeah, I kind of want to be a little salty, but I don't want to, I don't want to like pack a punch. I don't want to have a kick. I don't want, I don't want to be what Jesus is calling me to because I, I think it will turn off people. And, and so I just, I love this story because not only had the artist used this in the Beatitudes, but then we take the character that he had used. And that's, I think why he chose him is because this man, this seemingly insignificant man created something with just such grand vision and beauty. And he did it one rock at a time. And I think about us, the salt, to be salt in light of the world does not mean that you need to just run out in the hills and just start shouting, hey, everyone, I'm a Christian. You don't need to send a work email. Be like, hey, if you guys didn't know, Contrast Church is the best. Check it out. 4.30. Like, but, but I think that one rock at a time, what are the things the Spirit is just He's been tugging at you and you've been resisting. Or what are the things that maybe you need to pray for in the morning that your spirit will reveal to you throughout the day when you're around those people or you're around your neighbor? This is a depiction of what the kingdom and what God is calling us to is. These, these small rocks, he creates this vision and we're just faithful to it day by day. And, and at the end of the day, you're just like, I don't even know how you dream that. I don't even know. How, could you imagine going into this field and just like, all right, day one, just like, putting a rock down, being like, all right, we'll come back tomorrow. And then it built this. I mean, it's crazy. So I just, I want to encourage you guys, don't, don't be discouraged. The spirit is not, is not weak. The spirit is, is willing, and the flesh is weak. And, and if we lean into the Holy Spirit and, and what Jesus has for us, there's beauty in what he's doing. And so I want to invite the band up. We're just going to sing one more song. Um, we typically do a time of reflection. If you follow Jesus, we have some um, breading cup in the back. You can grab one. And that's an opportunity, just a, a reflection and reminder to uh, partake in Jesus' sacrifice for us, that he is allowing us into the kingdom through his sacrifice. Uh, we also have people in the back who would love to pray for you, no matter what is going on in your life. Those people want to pray for you. We want to pray for you, uh, and we believe in that. Even if you're not feeling broken, but you want to rejoice or, or be excited or pray with whoever, they're in the back, they can do that. And lastly, you can just reflect on, um, on what, was, what was said and what talked about, and uh, we'll, we'll close in one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, 
visit contrast.church.